0: So as we begin this teaching series, this series is about the gospel. My hope and prayer is that over the next six weeks, we'd be wowed again by the power of the gospel message of Jesus. So I'm going to start with a story. Um, This story comes from my mum. My mum's retired now, but before she was retired, she worked as a chaplain at a general practice in Birmingham. And at this GP surgery, essentially they went on a journey where they realized some of the people that are coming to the surgery didn't need just medical help. In other words, there was a sickness which wasn't just simply cured by, here's some antibiotics, here's some cream, or whatever else, and it was more than just emotional. It wasn't just like, oh, we think you might need to speak to a counselor, um, or go on a sort of journey of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Actually, they were beginning to recognize some people needed some spiritual help. Um, So they decided that they would employ a chaplain, and if they couldn't provide antibiotics or counseling, it needed more, they would say, go and see Pete's mum. They didn't obviously refer to her as Pete's mum. Um, go and see Annie Hughes. So when people went to see my mum, it meant they were spiritually open. They didn't necessarily believe in Jesus or believe anything in particular, but they were open to spirituality and a sense of, of an encounter with something beyond the here and now. And my mum would just have this incredible role. She got to pray with people, tell them about Jesus and invite them into an encounter. So I want to tell you one of the stories um, This is a lady, came to faith, wrote to my mum to say thank you for praying for me when I hit rock bottom. Here's my testimony because I've come to faith and my life's been turned around. She says this, I was always one of life's achievers, fast lane material, a bright child with a privileged education and upbringing. Not a wealthy family, but one rich in love, stability, encouragement, and with the right life values of goodness and kindness. Born into a small affluent village in the south of England, I was protected and secure from the big bad world a picturesque Church of England primary school, and a family involved in our village and church community. I was always identified as a very spiritual, gifted, pretty, articulate, artistic, kind, happy, and popular child. I think we can add humble as well. From university, my career flourished in advertising and marketing, being blessed with prettiness and becoming very ambitious. I started to relish the world of impressive cars, money, status, city living, the glamorous world of business trips to Cannes and champagne breakfast galore. The charming men went with that too. The downward spiral was rapid. Pride and selfishness started to consume me and I didn't like the person I was becoming. Irresponsible, thoughtless, superficial, careless with money and my own safekeeping. So I drank and partied, even more to disguise myself loathing and ignore the slippery slope I was heading down. Two failed marriages later, I subsequently fell headlong into an emotionally abusive relationship with a married man who was unintentionally cruel. Life began to rapidly crash. I was made redundant, suffered a stress-related breakdown, drank excessively, had to take myself through bankruptcy, got banned for drink driving, and there followed two years of weekly appointments with probation officers, bankruptcy trustees, courts, job centres, doctors, every relevant social service needed, and travelling by bus and foot to sell clothes, jewellery, and any belongings of value to pay the rent. Through all of this, the man who claimed to love me and wanted a life with me was nowhere to be seen and ran away from the reality. The cruelty and brutality left me barely able to breathe. My self-esteem battered. On top of all the court cases and pressures, I was heartbroken and felt abandoned as the man I loved went off and parted with his executive friends and started a relationship with his secretary, who was a friend of mine. I remember my first session with Annie, the chaplain, that's my mum, by the way, And her gentleness and compassion touched me to the core. When she asked if she could pray for me and laid her hand on my shoulder to ask God to be in my situation, something changed forever. I walked home in floods of tears awash. I'll never know how I walked the length of the Hagley Road. But I knew that something was being released and could feel a warm love seeping in where there'd been such devastation, bitter coldness, rejection, darkness, betrayal, and fear. My heart was still broken and my drinking was still heavy. But after a bold step, one bleak Saturday, walking home in the rain with heavy shopping bags and a desperate sense of there must be more to life than this, I plucked up the courage to walk into a church and seek help. I felt a tripwire physically stop me at the front doors as if God was pulling me in. It was time to reconnect with him properly after 40 years in the wilderness and I was ready. Still battling with self-esteem scars and drinking, but working hard at my faith and my Christian walk and coming to baptism in early 2007, I then hit a major downer late in 2007 after yet another relationship knockback. still having not dealt with the first. I had a few days of total self-destruct with neat alcohol and no eating. By the grace of God, a friend dropped in and found me having seizures and called paramedics to rush me to City Hospital. In accident and emergency that blink night, all I can remember is that the nurses could not even steal my body to have injections or sedatives and left me to it. I reached a peak of a seizure and knew and felt in my heart, this was it. I thought I was going to die. No one was near me. No one could see me with all my strength. I pushed up my body and cried out as loudly as possible, help! I know nothing of the next few days only that my consultants witnessed a miracle in all my vital functions returning rapidly to absolute normality and the monitors gently oscillating instead of looking like a thermonuclear device had gone off in them. At worst, they thought I would lose my life with the amount of alcohol poisoning in my body. At the very least, they thought I would be left with neurological damage or liver damage. To this day, since December 2007, when I faced death, I've not touched alcohol or cigarettes and have no desire for them. My body is the healthiest it's been for decades and there is no damage. God has washed me new. Life is so good. Last year, I was given the opportunity to go back into a high-profile marketing job with an amazing car, money package, etc. And I really thought this was the complete turnaround as i would be going back as a born-again Christian with a different approach to everything. But it did not last long as I was soon yearning to be effective to people in desperate need and felt God's calling to use my past misery for his ministry. Fast forward the clock, she now works with teenage girls with drink and drug addictions whilst also training for ordination so that she can be a pastor in her local church. That is a story of the power of the gospel. That's the story of when someone's brokenness heads on a collision course with the grace of God, and the best language for it is new creation, transformation, redemption. This is what this next series is all about. So before we read the text of Isaiah 61 together very quick contra, uh, context Isaiah is prophesying during Babylonian captivity very similar context to our previous series in Nehemiah Jerusalem is in ruins the temple has been destroyed they are in exile they're crying out to God when are you going to lead us home when are you going to redeem and restore us and then Isaiah has a vision about the spirit being poured out on a servant. Who is that servant? Jesus, by the way, is the answer. Because in Luke 4, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he goes into the temple, he grabs the scroll, he unrolls it, he starts reading from Isaiah 61, this incredible vision of the outbreak of the kingdom of God. And then he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Out me, it was about now the kingdom of God is at hand. So this is a prophecy about Jesus. But it's more than just a prophecy about Jesus. It's a prophecy about those who find themselves in Christ. You know the term Christian. It literally means in Christ ones. Those that have their identity and purpose in Christ. You know the word Christ. It's not Jesus' surname. I'm sure you know that. It's not like Mr. Christ, could you, you know, it's not that. It's a Greek term that translates a Hebrew term, and that Hebrew term is Messiah, which literally means anointed king. The prophecy was about the Spirit of God anointing Jesus as king, and then a whole kingdom story beginning to break out. When we say that we are Christians, it's more than saying we follow Christ. It means we stand in his anointing. What the Spirit anointed Jesus for, he anoints us for. We get to participate in the ministry of Jesus. How amazing is that? So we're going to read the text together. So can I invite everyone to stand? If you're on the live stream, why don't you just stand in your living room, kitchen, bedroom, um, even if you feel like an idiot. Let's just do this together as we stand to read the scriptures. And my hope is, if we read this scripture together every week for the next six weeks, Maybe at the end of it, we'll have it memorised, which is a great thing because this is our ministry. So let's read together. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Amen. Amen. Feel free to take a seat. So here's the movement of the text, and this is what we're going to be exploring over six weeks. The prophecy is about the Spirit being poured out. On the Messiah, the King, who will establish the kingdom. And when the Spirit is poured out, this King, Jesus himself, will be anointed. And what will he be anointed for? This is the clue, right? Because this is what we are anointed for, as the same Spirit empowers us. To proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. That's a demonstration of this proclamation in acts of radical compassion. And to set captives free. So when the Spirit of God is moving in a community, one of the signs is that there'll be a greater measure of boldness to proclaim our faith because faith comes through hearing, right? If we want to see people come to faith in Jesus, the gospel needs to be heard. So there'll be a greater measure of boldness to proclaim our faith. There'll be a greater measure of obedience to join with Jesus in binding up the brokenhearted, demonstrating his kingdom and acts of compassion and setting captives free. Now, when the people of God step out in obedience to do those three things, this will be the fruit. There will be beauty instead of ashes. There will be dancing, the oil of gladness poured out instead of mourning. There will be a garment of praise, in other words, celebration, instead of a spirit of despair. So when you read Luke chapter 4, Jesus gets up, He proclaims Isaiah 61. He says, now's the time. It begins today. And then if you keep reading, I encourage you, maybe over the next few days, read Luke 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. He basically enacts all of this stuff. So Luke chapter 5, there's this unbelievable story of a paralyzed guy, four of his friends bring him to Jesus because they heard that Jesus has the power to heal. There's such a huge crowd, they can't get close enough. So the four friends say, look, let's get on the roof. Let's, you know, dig a hole in the roof and lower our friend down. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of faith, but they do it. Jesus sees the guy being lowered from the roof. He sees the faith of the friends and he says to the paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven. That's unbelievable news, right? In other words, everything that might separate you from God dealt with in a moment as Jesus proclaims forgiveness over him. Now the crowd are thinking the same as some of what you guys are thinking of like that's cool, that's amazing, but I think he needs healing. I think he wants to walk. So there's probably awkwardness in the crowd. And then the Pharisees are thinking, hang on a minute, only God has authority to forgive sins. Is this rabbi basically claiming that he's God? If so, that is blasphemy. In other words, the crowd is tense. They're like, oh, this is a bit of an awkward exchange, and there's a guy literally hanging from the, the roof. Um And then Jesus says, because he knows what they're thinking, hey, just so you know that the Son of Man, which is a self reference term, just so you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, and he speaks to the paralyzed guy, take up your mat and walk. Imagine you in the crowd. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? The guy stands to his feet, picks up his mat, and he walks. I'm pretty sure that's an understatement. I'm pretty sure he was dancing, he was doing a shimmy, he was jigging around. He was like, oh my goodness, like this power to redeem and to restore and to transform a life. That is remarkable, right? That's beauty, right? Beauty breaking in. How does it break in? Through the proclamation. Jesus actually speaks a word. This is God in human flesh. The same God that created the world through speech. Said, let there be light and there was light. Now, he's recreating, restoring through speech. He says, your sins are forgiven. And more than that, I'm telling you, take up your mat and have a dance. Like, walk. Like, this is the power of the gospel proclamation. Beauty breaks in where there's been devastation in people's lives. So Luke 5, you're like, wow, this is incredible. You get to Luke 7. There's a story of a sinful lady, um, a a prostitute, that anoints Jesus. Just grab hold of this, the humility of Jesus. In Luke 4, he's anointed by the Spirit. In Luke 7, he's anointed by a prostitute. That This is such a dignifying moment. Now, obviously, her life, she's experienced the redeeming power of God... And she wants to find Jesus, to thank him for grace and mercy and the transformation that she's experienced. So she she finds Jesus. He's having a meal. He's reclining with some Pharisees. And she brings her most precious possession, which is a jar of perfume, right? We're told it's probably a year's worth of wages. And when she finds Jesus, she pours this oil, this perfume, oil of gladness, in other words, pours it over the feet of Jesus. She then lets her hair down, which was a scandalous thing to do in that time. She begins to weep. These aren't tears of pain and sorrow. These are tears of joy. And she begins to clean the feet of Jesus with her hair. This is an extravagant act of worship. In other words, this is mourning that is transformed into the oil of gladness being poured out, right? Her life totally transformed. The weeping has become cause for celebration and dancing because Jesus has redeemed her life. Oh my goodness, keep reading. You get to Luke chapter eight. There's this demonically oppressed guy. He has multiple demons and he's called Legion because Legion means many. Um, And Jesus delivers this guy, liberates this guy from demonic oppression. Now this guy was known as the weird guy who lived in the caves, spent most of his life naked, completely out of his mind until he encountered the gospel. Until he encountered the good news of the kingdom of God and then when he's next seen in public people say to him look that's that's the guy like the nutter he he's dressed and in his right mind he's dressed what is he wearing and the answer is a garment of praise He was overcome with a spirit of despair. He was known as the naked guy in the cave. That's not a great reputation, right? And now he's known as the guy whose life has been restored. He was in despair, and now he's dancing around, clothed in a garment of praise. This is the power of the gospel. What's the language that is best used to describe this kind of turnaround? Well, the year of favor is the language from Isaiah 61. Which is basically the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is is described in Leviticus 25... Now, this is kind of life according to the Jewish law and framework for life. Every seven years, you'd have a sabbatical, right? And that in that year, your land had to rest. You weren't allowed to sort of like use the land, work the land. But the poor could come and use the land to grow crops, to, to sustain themselves. So it was a year of rest and a year of generosity, right? But every seven sabbaticals, in other words, seven times seven, you can do the math, seven times seven is... 49, much better than the first service. They really struggled with the maths. So every 49 years, seven sabbaticals. In the 50th year, they announced it as the year of jubilee. Like this was a reset button on their society because their society, like our society, drifts towards inequality. So in the year of Jubilee, all of the land was redistributed equally amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. All prisoners were released from prison. All slaves were set free. All debts were cancelled. This was a moment, a celebratory moment to look back towards Eden, how things were meant to be, where there was no sin, no inequality, no suffering. But more than looking back, it was a moment to look forward because the Jewish People believe that one day God would come and he would liberate them, not just for a year of Jubilee, but for a whole reign of Jubilees. So when Jesus announces in Luke 4, like today, this is fulfilled in your hearing, like the year of the Lord's favor, he's basically saying Jubilee time, reset time, freedom time. Do you know the word, Hebrew word, Jubilee, do you know what it means? Because this is beautiful. Jubilee means ram's horn. I know you were hoping for more, weren't you? You were really, I could, I could sense it. You were hoping for more. I could see some of the, the married couples thinking, if we have a kid, we might be. Jubilee, it's loving. loving. Ramshorn, it's like that. No, no, no. I'll tell you why, Ramshorn. What happens when you're victorious in battle? What happens when, you know, the war is over? The answer is someone blast the trumpet, they blow the ram's horn, or something like that. Um, And that is the sound of freedom. Oh my goodness, the war is over, the struggle is over. That's the sound of freedom. Remember the story of Jericho? Seven days they walk around it. On the seventh day they walk around it seven times. Final time they walk around it, they blow the trumpet, the ram's horn, that's the sound of freedom. And the walls come crumbling down, right? Do you know the Latin word that we use um, for jubilee? It means shout of joy. That's the sound of freedom. When you're victorious in battle, what do you do? It's like, yeah, freedom! Right? Jericho, back to Jericho. Seven days, on the seventh day, seventh time round, what do they do? They raise a shout of joy and the walls come down. This is the sound of freedom. And as you read through the Gospels, it's like jubilee time. It's celebration. It's like feasting. It's laughing. It's party time. The other metaphor you see in Isaiah 61 is essentially a funeral is transformed into a wedding. Listen to the language in in Isaiah 61, like ashes. At a funeral, you would wear a headdress of ashes. Around your head, there would be ashes. Mourning, despair. You expect all of that at a funeral, right? But suddenly, when the kingdom breaks in, when Jesus rocks up announcing good news and pouring out grace, suddenly there's beauty and there's dancing and there's praise. Like you'd expect that at a wedding, right? So, this verse, like beauty for ashes, the headdress of ashes, you know, is transformed into the Hebrew actually says a tiara of beauty, a crown of beauty. Where do you wear a tiara? And the answer is not on a Friday night to the pub, right? Like not even pre-lockdown. You wear a tiara at a special occasion like a wedding. This is wedding language. As you keep reading Isaiah 61, it talks about the bridegroom getting ready and the bride getting ready and the covenant being renewed. This is all wedding language. When Jesus rocks up, he says, I am the bridegroom coming for my bride. I'm coming to marry you, to restore the covenant so that you can celebrate and feast. And if you read through Luke's gospel, Jesus spends so much time like hanging out drinking and eating and feasting the pharisees were annoyed they're like you should be fasting waiting for the kingdom he's like no the kingdom's here feast time right that's why jesus is accused of being a drunkard cuz he believes like he's the bridegroom wedding time and now it's time to party this is what happens when the grace of god breaks in a whole society is transformed jubilee time and what happens to those that are feasting at the table with jesus what happens to the guy who was paralyzed, to the sinful woman, to the guy who was demonically oppressed? They're formed into an army, rebuilding society, following Jesus the King and establishing the kingdom of God. Hey, do you know the same anointing's on us? Like the same anointing to proclaim good news, bind at the broken, set the captives. that's on us. Like, if we're obedient to the call, we should be seeing, like, beauty break in for ashes, dancing replacing mourning, praise replacing despair. And as we do that, we become agents of rebuilding, restoration, and bringing renewal to the culture around us. I want to ask the question, what happens personally when your brokenness collides with the grace of God? when your brokenness encounters Jesus Christ? And the answer is redemption, right? The answer is he makes all things new. He transforms us. He takes the brokenness and he uses it for his glory. Now, most of us in the room are feeling more broken than ever before. As I said, like the soil of our hearts has been churned up. We are feeling fragile. We're aware of all the cracks and the insecurities. Could this be a moment for the grace of God to be poured in. Could it be a moment of transformation in us so that there can be transformation through us? Let me give you an example in my life where I encountered the depths of my own brokenness and I thought I wasn't gonna make it, that I hit total rock bottom and at rock bottom, I encountered grace and it genuinely transformed my life. I was 25 years old at the time, just got married to B and... um, the, where we were working and ministering, just things, there was a very painful situation that meant we had to leave that place. We had to move city um, and we spent four months out of work. So lost the job that I loved, four months looking for work, not being able to find the right thing. And in that season, it just felt so insecure, like grieving what we'd lost and just regrets and all this stuff. And honestly, I was totally overwhelmed, questioning my faith, struggling with doubts, feeling like humiliated, honestly feeling humiliated. Um, I ended up in counselling, 25 years old, quarter life crisis moment, um, ended up in counselling. And if you go for counselling, some of you will have experienced this, you, you go in with a scenario. You're like, can I chat about this? This painful thing's happened. I want to process it. And they're like, great. So for three or four weeks, you talk about that. Yeah, and just when you're feeling safe, all the defences are down. The counsellor will gently say, brilliant. Now, it's actually far, far worse than you thought, because this is only sort of a symptom. The real problem is over here, and it's bad. It wasn't quite like that. But basically, I realised that rather than this being the primary issue, this was the issue. And for me, it was all my life I'd lived with this deep fear that I will not fulfil the potential on my life. Right? I, I think I'd been told at a really young age, in the family, in school, in the context of church, hey, you see that guy, he's got some real potential. And I think I internalized that of like, okay, well, there's expectation on me. I must maximize potential. I must fulfill potential. And growing up, I live with this deep fear. What if I turn 40, which I just have um, a year or so ago. What if I turn 40 and essentially people look at me and be like, oh, that's such a shame. Oh, had such potential, didn't he? What a waste. That was the deep fear. So I did really well academically at school. So i tell you why. Because I worked so hard because I wanted to potential I did really well in the sporting arena do you know why because I worked flipping hard because I wanted to fulfill potential I ended up in ministry being given quite a lot of leadership at quite a lot of you know quite a young age and I worked really hard because expectation I wanted to fulfill potential and there was prophetic words on me it's like oh my goodness I need to work to sort of bring those to, to fruition I hit 25 lost my job four months out of work totally broken in a room with a counselor like sobbing my heart heart out thinking, I don't know how to go on. I'm totally exhausted. Totally exhausted. I don't want this script. This script sucks. And my counselor basically said to me, it seems to me that there's a narrative that you're in a race and the end line, the finish line is love and the race itself is fulfilling potential. And you think if you can fulfill all that potential, maybe you'll experience love but the love of God, the love of your family, the respect of your friends, and it is killing you. Because what you need to run the journey is love. Love is the fuel. So maybe you need to reframe this. Maybe you need to see that the start line is the love of God. And that gives you the fuel to be yourself, to enjoy being yourself, and to stop striving, honestly counseling for me. My life was totally turned around. And I know what some of you are thinking. Can I have the number of your counsellor? He sounds epic. Like, just give me the number. Do you know it has nothing to do with the counsellor? I, I love my counsellor. nothing to do with him. What happened in that season over a number of weeks is I got in touch with the depth of my own brokenness. I brought that brokenness to the foot of the cross. And when I thought I'd hit rock bottom, I realised the grace of God was still beneath my feet. And therefore I could bounce because there was solid ground beneath me. The grace of God encountered my brokenness. And do you know the language, you know, I would use for this, and I'm just borrowing the language of Isaiah 61. I went in a mess, like I was grieving. I was mourning. It felt like, you know, a death of sorts, definitely a death to ego. I was feeling a sense of despair. And as I encountered the love of God, not just the wisdom of a counselor, as I encountered the love of God, I began to experience favour, A realisation that I'm God's beloved, that he loves me. I, I began to see like signs of beauty emerge in my life. I began to experience a greater measure of joy. I wanted to praise, I wanted to celebrate. Honestly, it felt like the funeral moment in my life became a wedding celebration, right? The funeral moment became a wedding celebration, I know Jesus said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And, you know, that was a a prophecy being fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But honestly, in my life, it felt like that season I could say, do you know what? That prophecy that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus, it is being fulfilled in my life right now. I'm experiencing redemption and transformation. And yes, I've had to walk this out over 20 plus years. I have moments of chronic insecurity. I still live with this kind of wound of not enoughness. I still live at times with this fear. You've got to maximize your potential. But I know in that season, at rock bottom, when I encountered the grace of God, something was planted. A seed was planted. The seed of the gospel, right? This is the metaphor Isaiah uses. It's like an oak tree planted for the display of God's splendor. Do you know how long an oak tree takes to grow? Normally, I don't know. But I know it's a very long time. In other words, something can happen like that. And the language we use in the New Testament is new creation being born again, like lives being turned around. But walking that out, that takes a very, very long time. And we walk it out in the midst of a broken world where there is death and there is grief and there is crying and there is pain. So sometimes we're aware that we're in a moment of grief and this moment, COVID-19, feels like a moment of grief. Some of us are experiencing a greater measure of despair. We are mourning. Like it feels like there's death around us. But do you know, if you came to Christ, something was planted in you and that will continue to grow as it's watered by the Spirit and it will bring a sense of hope and joy and beauty, Not just in your life, but through your life for those around you. In this season, as I'm more in touch with this kind of the brokenness of my own heart, do you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to open my heart wide because I've experienced it before. God, would your grace flood in. God, would your grace flood in. This moment that feels a bit like a funeral. Lord, w- would you bring the wedding bells? Would you bring jubilee, not just to me, but through me? Because I want to see a jubilee break out in this city, in our church community and all around me. You see, this is the shape of my story because this is the shape of the story of Jesus that took on human flesh and at the cross, he died for our sins. He hit the rock bottom for us, overcame our sin, overcame death, rose to new life so that we could experience everlasting life. This is the story of Jesus. And why is this the story of Jesus? Because this is the way that Jesus fulfills the whole narrative of scripture, which is about the restoration and redemption of all things. That's why we regularly say at KXC, the story you live in is the story you live out. Like if you immerse yourself in this gospel story, when you hit rock bottom, you'll find the grace of God is beneath you and you will bounce. And you will begin to experience resurrection, life coursing through your veins. So we're given a message to proclaim. There are people all around us who are experiencing huge levels of brokenness right now. This will always be the human story, right? We experience moments of brokenness. Like COVID-19 is a collective moment of brokenness, but there would be brokenness without COVID-19, right? A marriage breaking apart, a job falling apart, the loss of a loved one, like a breakdown You know, the list goes on, financial uncertainty. We're always going to experience brokenness. Here's the thing, what are you going to do with your brokenness? Because if you open your heart wide to Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the King, because of his cross and his resurrection, what will happen? We'll experience redemption. We'll experience new creation. Do you long for that? Like right now, I'm like, Lord, do it. Make me new. I feel like I'm falling apart. May my brokenness collide with your grace. May you bring restoration for me, in me, but more than that, through me, because I know that is your heart, that is your mission. God is on a mission to make all things new.